Let me tell you what Melvin Toast is packing right here. I've right? got 411 Posse track out back, 750 double pumper, Edelbrock intakes, Ford over 30, 11 to 1 pop up pistons, turbojet, 390 horsepower. We're talking some fucking muscle. Hey man, I know you got this thing out of a comic book. I saw the. Welcome to Dazed and Confused 33 and a third. I'm Jarf, and we are back for track 15 this week with returning guest Brad Mendenhall the co-creator and host of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. Welcome back, Brad. Very excited to be back. Uh, another cool minute. You, you saved the good minutes for me. Thank you. Or Not the good minutes, the, the good songs. The good songs. It's. I would say it's a good song, and it's even a better minute, because to me, there are so many great little character moments in this minute, but, but we'll get into all of that. So we are at minute 50 that we've been cruising around for a while now it's kind of the party's a bust people are starting to get bored wondering what they're gonna do and i mentioned that i really like a lot of the character moments i wondered if there was something that stood out to you and why or why not i watched this and i realized how much i like the character of julie sims she is so sweet and so likable. There was a great deal of restraint shown in the writing of her character. Linklater could have made her a manic, was it a manic pixie dream girl? Mm-hmm. And she wasn't that. She wasn't over the top. She wasn't, especially in this scene, she wasn't chasing after him. She wasn't like two minutes in saying, like, let's go skinny dipping. Things that those characters can often do. So you believed that, and there was and actually a little bit of chemistry with Mitch and her, and it was believable because so many of these, so many of those characters, and it's where the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing really gets irritating. It's so often a completely bland, vanilla, nothing guy, and the girl is so amazing and has so much presence, charisma, what have you, and she's just throwing herself at him, and you don't see it. Yeah. The recent movie Licorice Pizza is guilty of that. Yeah. And yeah, and it's funny because I'm I'm actually a big fan of the band Heim. So I know that that actress who was a member of the band is amazing because all three of the members of that band all have such I've seen a thousand interviews with them because they're great interviews and I know that she's awesome in real life is like, "Oh, that guy's boring. What are you doing?" Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting, since you call out the chemistry, is that they're not setting these two up to be a couple. They're just connecting on the fact that they're both freshmen who are getting to hang out with the upperclassmen for the first time. And so I I just really like that. I like when a movie takes a time to portray, and I mean, these are just kids, so you can say boys and girls hanging out in ways other than romantically. So I thought it was fun and appreciated that. There's so much, yeah, you can portray chemistry and have connection and let it be a slow burn and make you wonder what happens later. That, that was sort of a neat moment. It's funny, I the kid who played Mitch, I want to know your view on his performance, where he was doing a lot of squeezing his bridge of his nose and a lot of what do I do with my hands. And I'm trying to figure out, is that choice or is that just an awkward kid on camera? Because it would sort of make sense where he's hanging out with cool kids and talking with cool girls and 
sort of in an environment that he's not really used to and that's what a kid would do? Or is it just you and I have both been on stage and sometimes it's like you feel like your hands were just attached before you walked on stage. and You don't know what to do with these things. Right. Right. Well, so what I've learned, because Mitch touching his nose is a bit of an infamous part of this movie. Apparently, there is a drinking game where you drink every time he touches his nose. Someone could die doing that. Yeah, exactly. So because of that infamy, it's something that they've addressed. And it's a bit of a combination. So it was an instinct the actor had, but... It also can be mostly accredited to direction because Linklater saw it and liked it and encouraged it. So, yeah, he does look like an awkward kid, like you said, a little bit out of his element. So it's tough where when you have young actors playing awkward characters, you just don't sometimes it's in sometimes you just don't know where it is. I still don't know if Fred Savage was a good actor in Wonder Years or not. And the character Eric Foreman in that 70s show where he was a doofy, stoned kid. So often he the performance would feel a little stiff, but it's like, I, I don't know if that's because he was still trying to figure out how to act or that was the character. It, it can be a little, a little tough to noodle out. It can be tough to noodle. So just to pivot a little bit from these younger kids to the upperclassmen. So we're getting an actor who we haven't seen in a little bit in the movie. Parker Posey, and she just has a fantastic entrance. It really just sets up a domino effect of chaos through their whole group. So Parker Posey and Joey Lauren Adams, they've been off having their own separate hangout. So they walk up to the Emporium. Joey Lauren Adams and Jason London's character are sort of dating. And if you remember, towards the beginning of the movie, she asked him, should they go to the party together back when they thought there was going to be a party? And he said, ah, you know, I'll probably get caught up with the guys. Why don't we just meet up there? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And you could tell it really wasn't cool. So this is now their first time seeing each other. And you can really see because Jason London is busy talking to some other girl and so Joey Lauren Adams gives that character a dirty look. And then she says this really sheepish hi to Pink on her way in. And then after Parker Posey flirts with Matthew McConaughey, then she walks on in and McConaughey smacks her on the ass on the way in. And then Kay gives him just the biggest eye roll and then walks in after them. So I just love all of those different character beats happening. They just let it all play out naturally. There's so many weird dynamics. And then watching this movie now, so many weird careers because you have Matthew McConaughey with charisma for days, but he was at his early character work stuff. And... He's come full circle because Matthew McConaughey's basically become a character actor again. And he had that middle period where he's doing How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days and Sahara, a movie that featured this same song in this role. So apparently McConaughey just keeps coming back to this song. How funny. Yeah. So he had that middle part where he got really jacked. They sent him to the gym. He would not have his t shirt on a lot. And... 
he became so much less interesting because it, he lost all the quirks. And then it came back to now where he's allowed to be quirky and it's it's not how you know handsome he is. And he actually will lose weight and do stuff that, you know, takes that away a bit. So it's interesting to see like character actor McConaughey the early years. And then Joey Lauren Adams, who at one point they were sort of trying to present as, I mean, she would compete for roles with Reese Witherspoon. They were trying to put her on that same career path. And Parker Posey, who was at the beginning of becoming an indie movie superstar. Yeah, and actually you can mention in that conversation Renee Zellweger, because she is in a blink and you'll miss it role and just look at where her career has gone compared to Joey Lauren Adams. Yeah, it, so weird. And I liked Joey Lauren Adams. I was a Kevin Smith fan and she was in Chasing Amy, starred in that and showed some... There's limitations to Kevin Smith movies, but she did some cool stuff in that and showed some presence. They tried to make her sing too often and didn't realize she wasn't a very good singer. Yeah, I was just thinking of that too because I just watched Empire State. No, sorry, Empire records yeah empire records yeah no don't sing joey lauren adams if you're she's, listening she's probably in the promise she's not bad she's karaoke good yes <laughs> yeah but karaoke good shouldn't be featured in empire records and chasing amy singing and it being some sort of big revelation of her character it really should be she sings and everyone's like oh she's trying she's not bad yeah Well, speaking of singing, you mentioned the song. It's Never Been Any Reason by Head East. Did you think that it works well for this scene? Did it work better in Sahara? Just how did it enhance the scene or did it detract from it? Nothing worked better in Sahara. (laughs) (laughs) Just get that right off the table. I thought it worked. It was last time we talked, we talked about the movie. I mean, uh, the song, Do You Feel Like We Do by Peter Frampton. Yes, you taught me that the title is Do You Feel Like We Do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're here to educate as well as entertain. (laughs) In that last minute, that song worked really well to the point where any other song wouldn't have worked as well. In this minute, this song worked fine, and they probably could have picked about a thousand different songs that would have worked as well. Yeah. It, It was really just sort of quietly playing in the background. It's a good song. I listened to it afterwards, like I, just the song itself, and it's a it's it's a song that I actually really dig. It's a it's a nice three chord three chord three verse, and then a solo, a mini moog solo because there was a lot of drugs in the seventies and they had <laughs> mini moogs. And also a neat thing where the song they alternated the lead vocals with the drummer and the lead vocalist. So the drummer would sing the first two lines of each verse, and then the lead vocalist would take over, which is neat. And you don't hear that very often, especially two male voices switching off. So it was a good song, but, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't integral. And it, it felt like it was there not to not to give locomotion to the plot or to give it an extra layer. But just there's going to be music playing. This is a cool song with that's we're going to keep the volume pretty low on it. And it'll work that way. Does that line up with your thoughts or? Oh, yeah. It's a song grooving away in the background to what they're doing. So I think uh, Take Some ZZ Top, as appears elsewhere in this movie, would totally work. Yeah, it's, and that's fine. Not every song, I mean, this movie ends with a character listening to music and sort of letting the music take over. Not every song has to be that important. 
the music doesn't have to be, you know, the song doesn't have to be as important to the scene as that. And again, a good song. And, you know, it's one I could easily see becoming a low-key favorite when you listen to the soundtrack. Yeah, I could see that too. Yeah. Real quick, did I, did, did we talk about the importance of this soundtrack, the soundtrack itself, when I got my uh, first grown-up car after college? No. <laughs> I can't. I, all right. This will be pretty quick. I got my first car. It was a nice car, but it didn't have a CD player because not every car had a CD player then. What kind of car? Uh, okay, this is going to make me sound like a dick. Uh, it was a BMW 318i. I bought it for my mom. So it was a nice car, but it was just it was a, it, it just had a cassette player and a decent radio. Oh, did so, you say you bought it from your mom? From my mom, yes. Okay. This was in 96, 97. I had my, I had my college car which stank because I ran over a freshly run over deer. So every time I drove that car, it was that was a Dodge Colt. Every time I drove that car, it would start smelling like cooked deer meat, and I oh. couldn't clean it off. It was awful. So I traded that in, and I bought my mom's car, and it was great, but it had a tape player, and I had a bunch of CDs. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to spend the money, and I'm going to get a CD player, replace the radio with a CD player. So I take it, buy the CD player, and to prevent people from stealing the car, I mean, from stealing the radio, it had a security measure where when you would install it, you had to put in a CD and you had to remember that CD. So if you switched it out to a different vehicle, you had to put the same CD in. And I forget why I like I, my 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 sister was with me when we did this. And they said, oh, we'll, we'll get a CD. And my sister ran into her car and she pulled out a CD of the Dazed and Confused soundtrack and put it in there. And then that was basically the key to that radio, that CD player working in the new vehicle. And then when I traded the car in, swapped it out to my next car, and, because it was a nice CD player, and I was like, oh crap, I don't own that soundtrack. My sister does, so I had to like drive to the Wall Music Store and buy the, uh, thank God they had it in stock. I had to get that again and pop it in when they switched it out into the new car so it started. So, now wait. So the car wouldn't start unless you put in... the, the radio wouldn't start. Soundtrack? The, the radio wouldn't work in the new car. Oh, okay. Unless you put that specific CD in. And was it like a multi-CD? So say you want to listen to something else. You want to listen to Girlfriend by Matthew Sweet. Do you have to put in Dazed and then eject it and then put in Girlfriend? It You only had to do that the first time you started, you played it in the new car. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I I, thought, I, I was like... You are afraid this, like every time I started that car, I had to put that particular CD because in. Because then no, you would be like... I'll just listen to the Dazed and Confused soundtrack. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not putting it in and then ejecting it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so it's just when we talked about that, it's like, oh, yeah, that I had to have a copy of that because that CD player made it into two or three different cars. Oh, nice. So every time you like your first ride in the new car, it's like, what should we listen to? Well. First, we got to listen to this. And then he brandishes the Dazed and Confused soundtrack. So would you do an inaugural listen of the soundtrack? Or would you say like, okay, radio's unlocked. What do I feel like listening to? It, you know, I wouldn't, I think I did listen to it once. But the thing is, I had to hand the CD over to the tech doing the work. So I was like, oh, here it is. And they would pop it in and then they would pop it out. And so it was just a matter of like me 
I think the time I listened to it, they just neglected to pop it, the CD out. And then I listened to a few songs. And it's a good soundtrack, so it wasn't like, you know, it, it wasn't like it was a chore. Yeah, I'm going to have to ask your permission to punch up that memory in how I imagine it happening, just for dramatic effect. Of course. <laughs> in, in my recollection, it's every time you got a new car, you'd have... The text put in the CD player, and then you would have your official first ride with the car and listen to the Days and Confused. Permission granted. <laughs> all right, great. All right, all right, all right. So, how do you like the song? Did you have you listened to the song itself? I mean, is is this one that sort of connects with you? Well, I can say honestly that outside of the soundtrack, I had never heard of this band. So when I'm going through the list, I'm like, okay, Head East. Okay, sure. And then as I listen to it, just in the scene, I'm like, "Mm, yeah, this sounds familiar. I did go and just listen to the track isolated from the scene on YouTube. And I did. I liked it enough. I think that I agree that I could see this becoming a sleeper favorite on the soundtrack, but it didn't make me super interested in checking out more of their stuff. I just have the feeling it wasn't weird enough to be, okay, this is this is a forgotten underground gem of the 70s. It sounded middle of the road enough that I just imagined if this band had a ton of other good stuff, I probably would have already heard it. Yeah, it's basically their only hit, and it peaked at number 68 on the Billboard Top Hot 100. So when you're you're a one-hit wonder and your one hit doesn't go to number one, there's a whole lot of stuff to be said there. Yeah, yeah. And it's very... It's very dated sounding because, again, mini move. I think a band could, like a modern band, uh, Foo Fighters, could do something really cool with this song. You take out the 70s-ishness, and I think there's a cool song there that would be, like, really fun on a live performance. I think a bar band could do something really cool with this. Yeah, now I want to go and look for covers of this song and see who has done just that. Somebody's got to have. Somebody's There's got somebody who's seen, first off, somebody who's watched Days and Confused a thousand times. It's like, yeah, well, I'm okay. I bet there's a Days and Confused cover band out there. Oh my God. Yeah, there's got to be. It's like, we're, we're dazed and, eh, now I can't come up with a clever name. But there's something <laughs> like some pun on Days and Confused or Days Confused no more. And they just do this album from top, from, from start to finish. And I would go and see that band. Hazed and abused. There you go. Perfect. So, so I guarantee you that that band's out there. And this is probably, it's probably that song in the set. And I think you, you, you sort of alluded to this. This if, if it was a band that had a lot of hit songs, this would be the fun song that play that when they're in concert, they play right before, like two songs before the first encore. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, moves pretty well. People sort of sing along to it, and it's cool. And then it's right before their big hit song, and then they have their first, and then they walk off stage, and they come back, and then they do the big hits. Well, you know, since this is your second time on, as we're wrapping up, I wanted to give you the opportunity to zoom out a little bit. And I just wondered, are there ways that you look at this movie differently than when you originally saw it. Yeah, when I originally saw it, I wasn't too far past that point in my life. So, you know, this came out, we were right in the middle of college. When I was in high school, uh, there was High Street, High Street, and High Street was this one road 
and kids from my high school would just drive up and down the road and then they would stop and they would banner and hang out and do nothing and then they would get back in the car and drive up and back i I never really cared for high street because i i would feel awkward just driving around and doing nothing but maybe people were put off by your venison scented car it's possible it's possible god that was such a crap car even before it stank but i remember that like the hangout stage and i remember in i had my things like me and my buddies would go and see whatever movie was playing at the, the 2 dollar movie theater and then we would go to the one diner in town and just hang out and just that sort of just hang out for the sake of hanging out so i was it was pretty fresh for me and I, now i have now i'm a dad and my oldest is 12 and i realized like my son is getting close to being to that point in his life that hang out with his buddies, talk a lot of crap, trying to make, uh, you know, make bad decisions that aren't too bad. And, you know, being on the other side. Now I'm all of a sudden I'm becoming like the mom character who's going to be the one waiting for the son to come home and not trying not to come down too hard on the kid. And it's like, uh, oh, okay. This is, this is where I'm at. (laughs) Well, as always, you have spurred on a great conversation. And where can folks find you if they want to hear more of your content? I am, uh, as Jarf called out before, I am the host and co-founder of the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. We have done over 250 episodes where we talk with some great guests and have positive geek culture talk. Jarf has been on many, many times. He was the first guest on the show and he is the co-creator with me and recommend everyone check it out. It is on your favorite podcatcher. You know, it's uh, that's that's the best place. And Jarf, I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, this is a really cool show that you're doing. And I'm so pleased to be part of it twice. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for coming back a second time. Listeners definitely recommend you check out the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. Like Brad mentioned, that's really how I cut my teeth in podcasting. So this project wouldn't have been possible without it. And Brad, I'll catch you later, man. Awesome. Not to worry, there's a new fiesta in the making. Join us at the Moon Tower, our Facebook listeners group. Until next time, just keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.